Sci-fi Saturday night. Sounds like a plan. I was born ready. Watching the UFOs whiz by. Give it a chance. Well, you never know, it might be kind of hot. If you're cool, this will sound normal. When I hear a series called Mary Jane, I think of something completely different. I'm made of Teflon. The great thing about virgins is that they're a renewable resource. <laughs> well said. No, Avatar is much better with the glasses. But if something doesn't immediately strike that chord, then it's tossed away like so much kippa. It was an okay movie um, for a while. We're getting odd noises, and, and we can vote on, on our favorite comment. I had hope, and my hopes were dashed every yeah, but, time. Okay. You know why I love this cast is because somebody always says what I'm thinking. Sci-fi Saturday night. Bigger is, but... What is sci-fi Saturday night? Oh, that's right. I, uh, listen... And this is good. Thank you for having me on. This is Adam West and AdamWest.com. Don't forget that. AdamWest.com, we have so many goodies for you. Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I know! This is H.P. Mallory, best-selling author of the Jolie Wilkins series. I clenched my eyes closed again, gripped the coverlet, and allowed Sci-Fi Saturday Night to take me to my own nirvana. Hi, this is Ben Bova. I've written a lot of science fiction, and I think that I've devoted my life to trying to understand the opportunities and the dangers of the future. And if you listen to Sci-Fi Saturday Night, you'll begin to understand a lot of that, too. Exploring the unexplorable, Mr. K, the Dome, and Gene invite you to step through the door. Be careful of black holes. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Science fiction. A literary or cinematic genre in which fantasy, typically based on speculative scientific discoveries or developments, environmental changes, space travel, or life on other planets forms part of a plot or background. Or science fiction. Fiction dealing principally with the impact of actual or imagined science on society or individuals, or more generally, literary fantasy, including a scientific factor as an essential orienting component. That's what we're all about here, ladies and gentlemen, and good evening. Welcome to Science Fiction on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I am one of the triumvirant, Mr. K, along with my partners, Gene and The Dome. We'll be with you every Saturday night, talking about a variety of science fiction and science fact, including movies, DVDs, books, fantasy of all types. And evidently, every once in a while, we're going to talk to Merriam-Webster. Yes, we are going to talk. We like Merriam-Webster. He helps us start things. Ah. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the voice of the Dome. Dome. Good evening. That is the Dome. And Gene, Gene Cavellos, best-selling author of a variety of science fiction novels and uh, exposés. And uh, I'm going Which to let them talk a little bit about themselves in just a moment. Tonight on Sci-Fi Saturday Night, Cooking with the Daleks, 
enjoy the recipe that will exterminate your species. Hey, this is Mike Doherty with Brown Coat to Redemption, and you know what's shiny? Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hello, this is Tracy Hickman. And I'm Laura Hickman. And our DNA is actually currently orbiting on the International Space Station. So, we are in orbit right now on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. This is Thomas Gosson of Mind's Eye, the web series, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hello, friends and neighbors in the audio radiance. I am Spider Robinson, the James Taylor of the Stone Age, coming to you from the home of the terminally confused Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Computer status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! Wrong! Good evening, and thanks for locking in on us once again. This is Peter Benton Jr. here of Peter J- uh, PeterBentonJr.com fame, not that you know what that is, humbly has been asked to be your guest host for this wonderful science fiction retrospective on this, the 100th broadcast of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I contend, uh, I've long contended as a science fiction fan myself, uh, that the visual age of adventure heroes such as Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, when they were coming into being right alongside the reality space space travel stories of Robert Heinlein and the moral dilemmas of Isaac Asimov's prostatronic robots, that was the dawn, for me, of the age of the drooling fanboy. From there, we had Kubrick's 2001, Doctor Who, Star Trek, Lost in Space, Space 1999, and eventually Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica. It all gave rise to the new subgenres of science fiction fans. These are the folks who, as a rule, are probably a little more comfortable with the onrushing future than the rest of us. And why is that? Because of one fundamental truth about science fiction as a genre, it keeps on turning into fact. Captain Kirk's communicator, Commander Uhura's Bluetooth, and the Jetson family's video conferencing telephone, they're unremarkable present-day realities. Thirty years ago, sending or pulling texts from the world's libraries onto handheld portable phones, that was the stuff of science fiction. Fifteen years ago, extrasolar planets were the stuff of science fiction. And only a week ago, it was accepted as fact that faster-than-light travel would never be achievable. But we science fiction fans, we saw all this coming. Why? Because we already kind of have a pretty good idea of what the future looks like. And one particular segment of that fan community is even better positioned than the rest to face that future head-on, and that is the folks who are lucky enough to use this fictional medium, yes, it was fictional once, to enjoy the weekly podcast of the crew of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And by that roundabout way, I am bringing you the future as viewed through the lens of the past. So let's put our hands together for this amazing group of folks and the unique way in which they serve up our favorite fandoms, both old and new, every Saturday night. They have had immortals like Ben Bova. They've had Harlan Ellison. They've had L. Neal Smith. They've had Spider Robinson drop by. They've also been gracious enough to allow the not-as-well-known illustrators like myself to share some studio time, so I'm always humbled by that. So, fire up your time machine of choice, folks. We, uh, whether it's a hot tub, DeLorean, police box, or you can just stand naked in the middle of a ball of electricity. We are not being fussy here. We'll just step back into the ancient days of February 2006. Let me just set this tone for you here. Netflix was just getting rolling with that whole streaming thing. 
Our iPods were mostly first-generation shuffles. Uh, the Galactica had not yet found Earth. We were still getting used to David Tennant, and we all still adored Shia LaBeouf. Enter Drusilla, Zombrarian, the dead redhead, awake by Java, the always mysterious Illustrator X, Kriata, and especially the Dome, to share with us uh, a few insights on paving the way for this remarkable journey. Wow. So what like, hey, now. what's up now? <laughs> 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 I know how to go too long there, yeah. Holy crap! This is the longest any of us have gone without talking. You know, if you were a super villain, if you were a super villain, you totally would have been screwed because you were totally just monologuing. Well, you know, you know, I'm, I, I really don't know what to say because I, I've never thought of myself as that awesome. That's pretty cool. Neither of we sometimes, Java. You, you oh, folks would be surprised. You really would be surprised at how this is going to be viewed, you know, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, a century from now. I, I, I truly believe it's, it, it, it's a pivotal footnote, what you guys are creating here. Nobody's going to love us till after we're dead. Damn it. <laughs> that, that's footnote. the problem with legends. You know, nobody appreciates them until they're, you know, until they're, you know, dry bones in the ground. But Wow. <laughs> I thought we were legend, but I will certainly eat the Purina dog chow. Not a problem. I thought we were just a reference, but we're a whole footnote. <laughs> Sweet! <laughs> Sweet! Wow. Okay. All right, Peter, the show is yours. Take us where you'd like to go tonight, my friend. All right, well, I really would, I just, I would love to just capture some uh, retrospective moments. Uh, you folks, as I said, you've put a uh, an amazing uh, piece of work together here. Uh, I'd like to just Get uh, some of your best memories. Uh, some of the, the the most pivotal moments that you remember from the. Uh, this is uh, this is the 100th Saturday night in a row. Maybe not in a row, but I mean that's that's 100 Saturdays going now in which uh, we've really explored some amazing, uh, covered some amazing new ground. So if you'd like, I'd like to start with Zombrarian, who uh, lists uh, her bro- lists the broadcast point as from the Alston Brighton Hellmouth. Big oh, oh that's wrong and, now, uh, actually. Uh, oh, that's no longer true. Okay. No, no, we're we're from the Revered Time Slip. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, all right. <laughs> that, that's and, uh, brand new. We should, uh, uh, I'm going to make a note right now, update the about page. Update the about page, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zombrarian is sci-fi Saturday Night's post-editor and resident grammar zombie and enjoys all kinds of books and curling up with undead kitties, and, and uh, I'm sure that has been expounded upon. So uh, we, we can hand things off to you if you'd like, uh, if there's any insights you'd like to share or any... Favorite moments from this amazing. I, I think she wanted to reenact a moment right now. Go. All right. There's a robot. Woo! It <laughs> <laughs> was the best ever. The best ever. For you guys. <laughs> okay. Anyway, someone will get that. Probably not. Maybe. Not for twenty years, though. Yeah, yeah, not until 20 years from now. That's right. That's right. Some some guy living in his mom's basement 20 years from now will hear you say, there was a robot? And be like, ha, that's so funny. That was TalkCast 16, 15 minutes in. Like, we'll be like, we could find that. Your head. <laughs> a couple of neckbeards. We'll be very impressed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. Fantastic. <laughs> so Zombrarian. So Zombrarian. Um, the, 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 the floor is yours. Whatever uh, wonderfulness you'd like to share on this uh, 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 favorite uh, moment uh, from the past. So, so why don't why don't we go with like why don't you introduce the clip? Okay, that sounds like all right. Please my do. 
My clip is um, our interview with uh, Doug Jones at Wizard World. Um, I forget the date, but it was probably 2010. 2010? Yeah. Um, and Doug Jones was possibly the sweetest, most appreciative of his fans actor I have ever met. Um, and he was kind enough to sit down at his table at Wizard World and give us an interview. And I think that's all that needs to be said. I know. I know. (laughs) All right. Without further ado. We're really tired. We've spent the entire day at Wizard World today in beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. And at the time, we were also hijacked by President Obama's motorcade. (laughs) Oh, dear. That's true. uh, Almost locked out of Wizard World at one point. So we're sitting here tonight in the Austin Brighton Hellmouth. It's myself. I'm the Dome. With me is Kriana at her soundboard. Uh, and somewhere in the room is Drew, who's half asleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and in Erie, Indiana, our crop circle investigator and part time Mercedes McNabb impersonator. <laughs> that was mean. Well, you know, I'm the only one who's awake, so I'll take that. <laughs> True enough. Doug Jones. Oh, my gosh, yes. We talked, we laughed, we hugged. Um, We shared a lot of love. There was a lot of love in the room. For those of you who don't know who Doug Jones is... He was that guy under all that makeup. He played the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth. He was the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth. He was Abe Sapien in Hellboy and Hellboy 2. And he was the Silver Surfer. He was the Silver Surfer, but who remembers that? I do. Um, he was yeah, the corpse guy in Hocus Pocus. He, and he was also one of the gentlemen on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In the Hush episode. Phenomenally talented human being, and we actually taped an interview with him that we'll be playing in a little bit. Now, I've got to tell you, Doug is probably one of the nicest human beings ever had the pleasure of interviewing well you know i mean i've seen a lot of his work and interviews with him about especially pan's labyrinth because it's one of my favorite movies and it's a he's he's an amazing performer he really is well you know he's right out by you too Mm -hmm. yes actually his new movie was shot in indiana and he said he was going to be back in indiana very soon to promote it it's called my name is jerry yep Mm mm-hmm and, yeah, I saw that on the radar, yep. And if you go down there and identify yourself as one of the people from Sci-Fi Saturday Night, he'll be thrilled to see you. He'll probably hug you. And share a lot of love. <laughs> we adore it. He's, like, so tall, and, like, he doesn't look physically possible. Yeah. Yeah, you, you look at him and you go, okay, I get the whole Abe Sapien thing now. Yes, he does have the proportions of Abe Sapien. But I don't know how he held up all the mechanics for the fawn. Seriously. Oh my gosh! Yes. He, well, he the so fawn thin. was the fawn. I actually saw the. I saw. I had a DVD. I have a DVD somewhere specifically on the the makeup work behind the fawn, and it's you know an amazing contraption. But the the physical necessities that he had to you know fulfill. Wow, it's it's unbelievable. Oh yeah, he's going to be at Ball State. So I guess without further ado, I will play our interview with Doug Jones. We apologize for the background noise, but there was a hell of a lot of people there. Yeah, we couldn't really help it. 
Whoa, that was something. Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> what a great interview. I mean, that was. Been, that what was a great interview. It's been nuts the kind of interviews that we've that we've been able to do. And that's just one. Yeah, absolutely. That was great. One of my yeah. favorite parts of that one, yeah. I mean, besides Doug Jones, because he was amazing um, and hysterically funny, is that you can totally hear me giggling like <laughs> a fangirl the whole thing. I think, um, you know, I think we ought to go on the record at this point. It, no one here at Sci-Fi Saturday Night, English is not our first language. <laughs> we you learned English. <laughs> Yeah, we know totally right there. Yeah. The, 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 the flight of the fanboy slash fangirl. Oh, dear Lord, wow. yes. <laughs> wow. Across the internet, people are saying, got that right, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot, 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 lot of nuts uh, in cyberspace just now. <laughs> All right. Very good. All right. I, I, shall we move ahead uh, and get the rest of the... Uh, the there's, there's a lot that I'd still like to bring in. Um <laughs> This is a moment of hesitation here. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm an artist. I'm not good with people. Um, <laughs> That's so such a lie. You're great with people. <laughs> well, yes, if, if they're modeling for me, wearing Boris Vallejo-style costumes. That's, 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 that's a matter for an entirely different uh, uh, radio program. <laughs> All right, we're... Um, <laughs> that, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the next clip we'd like to explore uh, is brought to us by uh, the dead redhead uh, who specializes in uh, all things uh, George Romero-ish, uh, apparently. Uh, just being a zombie, uh, uh, likes Romero movies, uh, likes dead living dead dolls, and dislikes people with no brains for her to consume. Uh, there's one other thing that she dislikes, but I have promised not to mention it on the air. Uh, but she does... Uh, <laughs> but. Dead Redhead does describe herself as the most awesome disemboweling zombie extra in the history of zombie flicks. <laughs> and uh, she has uh, an incredible uh, a bit of uh, a, 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 just a, a legendary uh, science fiction guest uh, whose insights uh, can be shared. Well, what we had were, I was very torn between two. I really was torn between the one where... Harlan Ellison explained to Illustrator X where he could put his book after Illustrator X made a joke about it. Um, <laughs> but the other one I chose was, you know, one of the things about this show that is so wonderful is seeing the other side sometimes of people who are such giants in the field. I mean, I just thinking about Harlan Ellison, when we interviewed him, I think we all did it with holding our breath. Because we were just waiting for one of us to accidentally say the wrong thing, and he was going to go on one of his tirades. We were holding something. (laughs) (laughs) But when we talked to Ben Bova, I thought it was so amazing that this master of science fiction started off by telling us a ribald tale told to him by Isaac Asimov. Oh, yes. And it just made me... And, we la- and it was just like, oh, my God, is he really doing this? And it was... And then, and then he was, and then it was awesome. It was awesome, and that's what I mean. So many of these guys have humor like ours or even better than ours, and we appreciate that so much, having guests who have senses of humor, because to be on our show, you usually need that. So, um, (laughs) without further ado, here is our ribald tale from Isaac Asma. Isaac's stories all deal with the importance of thinking rationally, of looking at the world and using science 
and your mind to solve your problems. Uh, and he wrote very entertainingly. The interesting thing is that science fiction was a very small part of Isaac's total output of books. He wrote nearly 500 of them, and most of them were nonfiction. He could write about any subject under the sun and write about it so simply and accurately that you could understand the basics of that field after reading one of his books. Uh, anybody can confuse their readers. The real trick is to help the readers understand what you're writing about. The writer shouldn't be there <laughs> trying to show how smart he is. He should be there with his hand in the reader's hand saying, let's go together into this strange land and see what we can make of it. You know, what, what a lot of people don't know about Asimov is that he had a very, very sly sense of humor. Oh, did he? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sure you can tell us about it. He, wrote, he put out two books of lecherous limericks. <laughs> I mean, really, really bad stuff. But, but he loved them, and he composed what he called the classic, which I propose now to repeat for you. Please. Please. Isaac's classic limerick. A harlot from North Carolina tied fiddle strings crossed her vagina. With proper sized cocks, with the sex became box to cotta and fugue in G minor. <laughs> we now have a new opening. Up a show. <laughs> I knew it was going to get funnier. That, <laughs> that is a, an example of Isaac's sense of humor. And this is the best thing about being not on Clear Channel anymore, is that you can say that, and nobody cares. <laughs> you can say that. There weren't any of the seven dirty words in that limerick. You're absolutely correct. There are. George, George Carlin could have said it with a clear conscience. <laughs> but if you want to say one of the seven words, just go for you, it. You can go for it. We'll probably beat you to it. Well, Isaac had another limerick. Or actually a story about a limerick where a guy comes home from a night out at the bar with his buddies, and as he's getting into bed, he's chuckling to himself, giggle, giggle. And his wife says, what's so funny? And the guy says, oh, Harry told a, a joke, a limerick, that is so filthy that uh, it, it just breaks me up. And she says, what is it? He says, I can't tell you. He says, why can't you tell me? He says, it's too dirty. And she says, for God's sake, we've been married for 15 years. You can tell me anything. And he says, no, I'd be embarrassed. And the wife says, oh, all right, just tell me the limerick. When they come to a dirty word, say hum. And the husband says, all right, here's the limerick. Hum, 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 hum. Hum, 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 hum. Hum, 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 hum. Hum, 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 hum. Hum, 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 fuck. <laughs> and there was that Ben Boba telling dirty jokes on our show ladies and gentlemen it doesn't get better than that <laughs> See, this is what I mean by it's going to be a lingering footnote in the long term view of science fiction <laughs> this, 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 this will definitely uh <laughs> We linger. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm having too much fun here. 
Oh, goodness. And I would like to thank everybody for having me come on to the show later on because it's been very, very fun. And I'm you've very glad to be you, part sweetie. of the family. Yeah, you're, you've always been part of the family, and it's been a lot of fun having you. Sweet. Seriously. I also I have to say that I'm really enjoying listening to these things again because I'm catching things that I didn't catch while we recorded them. Like, in that limerick that Ben Bova just told, the first one, box and box is a pun. Mm -hmm. Like the composer and the vagina. I get it now. Wow. Good job. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All righty. <laughs> All right. Well, to introduce the uh, the next retrospective, uh, the, the, the next segment is uh, Awake by Chava, uh, who broadcasts from Outpost Gallifrey, uh, listing amongst the likes are sci-fi original shows when they don't suck. I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. City original shows when they don't <laughs> suck. Uh, and on his list of dislikes are uh, City original shows that suck, uh, Sanctuary, and that other thing that I promised not to talk about. But his most memorable... Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, what? It's Smallville! 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 Everyone hates Smallville! We hate Smallville! Except for X. <laughs> okay, after the affidavit and all the non-disclosure agreements that I agreed not to mention the name of, you know, the town that Clark Kent grew up in, and now they went ahead and blew it. All right. <laughs> it, 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 it's uh, been really great to be on the show. I, I didn't I wasn't involved with it. I didn't know anybody except for uh, Kriana before coming on the show. And, man, it's just been really great to, to meet so many amazing people, um, you know, other than the people that are sitting around their computers broadcasting right now. Um, it just the, the it's, it's been an amazing experience. And one of the greatest things is uh, as, as fun as listening to, you know, Ben Bova tell dirty jokes and, and Harlan Ellison, you know, rant. Uh, is we've also had some really great discussions about the genre and about what uh, it can mean to a person and what it can reveal about the human experience. And this clip that I chose, uh, I've chosen is one of those. It's our conversation with Chris Golden about his uh, zombie anthology. It's the Kobayashi Maru. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So, 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 okay, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, the, the, the question I have, um, yeah. z zombies seem to have saturated the market over the last few years, and now you've got another collection, there's a new collection of zombie short stories. What separates this from, from everything else we've seen over the last uh, couple of months? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. No, uh, seriously, um, First of all, a lot of the zombie anthologies that you've seen in the last year have been um, at least a good portion reprint. Uh, so the first thing is that these are all new. But more importantly than that, you know, this, this anthology came about by me being contacted by an editor at St. Martin's who said, you know, we'd like to do a zombie anthology. Uh, you know, we think you're the guy. You know, are you interested? <clears throat> and I went back to them and I said, listen, I'm only interested... Um, on a certain level, and that is that I really believe that our fascination with, with zombies right now, um, because, look, let's face it, they're not sexy. It's not like, you, you know, vampires, you get it. You understand what's fascinating about vampirism. You can live forever. You can be beautiful forever. You can mesmerize, you know, and seduce and all of these kinds of things. And there's a sexual thing about 
sucking blood and all of that stuff. Zombie Nobody wants to get, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I zombies. Thank well, ne- ne- neither do vampires. Um, <laughs> but you. in any case, my son wore a T-shirt all around Dragon Con saying, um, "And then Buffy staked Edward the end." <laughs> I've but, seen uh, that. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. But it, but in any case, the the thing about about zombies now, I think, I don't know, if, I don't know, if, you know, nobody wants to have sex with a zombie, and at least as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> So there's nothing sexy about them. But I think the fascination with them currently has to do with the way that we're processing all the crap that we're dealing with as a society, the way that we're processing the war and dead soldiers and torture and all of these things. Because all of these war-related movies came out and tanked. Nobody wanted to see it. Nobody wanted to process these things by taking them head on. And I think that, that this sort of story about... Uh, you know, not that eating flesh is necessarily, you know, a parallel, obviously, but I do think that death and resurrection stories and horrible things and stories about the apocalypse and the end of the world and all this stuff, you know, is, is a way that we're processing our, our fears as, as a society that we weren't previously. You know, I think it's, it's mm-hmm. a way that we're able to do that. And that was actually one of the challenges that I, that I laid out to the contributors when I went out and asked them to, to come up with something for this book. And so even though if I didn't tell you that, you would probably read the book and never really see it, there are definitely stories whose themes reflect that kind of challenge and that kind of question. Uh, there's a story about torture. There's a story about uh, zombies being weaponized and used in the military. There's a story about, uh, you know, um, well, and, and there are also classic sorts of things. There's a story about Lazarus coming back from the dead, and, and there's a voodoo story. But, you know, I mean, so there's a, there's a nice mix. But, uh, you know, it really is about what is our fascination with zombies all about? That's the question that I ask people. And frankly, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just don't think that – I think a lot of the, the stuff that's out there is just, you know, dead people rising and eating. <laughs> um, <laughs> I and absolutely so, so agree, is, uh, because, uh, uh, you know, zombies, the, the whole um, the zombie archetype allows, you know, the characters to find a clear enemy, um, which is something that our society is really looking for and we don't have. Um, you know, right. so many things that we can't deal with in the real world, in a, in a world plagued by zombies, you know, something we can deal with very easily. I absolutely agree with that. Well, and I also think we're we're in a, I also think we're in a world where, you know, we don't feel comfortable that we're the good guys anymore. And so, post-apocalyptic stories and stories about crisis situations uh, make it easier for us to identify with the protagonists of the stories because you can be the good guy. Well, you know, it's easy to be the good guy when you're only, the only thing you're trying to do is make it to the you know the next day. And um, you know, I, I just don't. I, I feel like we, as a society, can't count on. You know, we don't have the foundation that we once had. Uh, you know, white hats and black hats are largely a thing of the past. So there you go. There's no little thing at the end of that one because Java did it by himself. Whoosh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was excellent. Whoosh. I'd forgotten about that. That, that was, was a really, really good, good hidden Java. gem. Well, I mean, we. I, we I, I, I was captivated. I was yeah. truly captivated. And you we can get all this and more by subscribing to our iTunes feed. <laughs> well, we, 
we do have some some you know really fantastic discussions with interesting people who think about the world in interesting ways, which is really what science fiction and, and speculative fiction is all about. It's about experiencing the world and, and trying to figure out what our lives are and and how we interact with other people and what it all means. And and you Absolutely. know the search the search for understanding is is really at the at the heart of it. And you know that's why I do this, and um, I'm just thankful that I get to. So I think that we need to take a second here to just shout out to Chris Golden because he's been our friend forever, forever and ever. Oh, ooh, and he still even talks to us sometimes. Yay, Chris! <laughs> it was really great to see him at Boston Comic Con. Um, I know it was a while ago, but it seems like only yesterday uh, that that I was out there with you guys and. It was really great to see all of those awesome people and, and you know, Peter and, and Chris and, and get to shake the hand and, and say hello to the people who who make this podcast possible. Which inspired you to make our very first comic book of an event. Yes. And that was really that cool. Yeah. Well, uh, that, is, that is a wet of my appetite right there. I said, yes, go on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fantastic! Oh, I just, uh, like I said, I was just captivated there. All right, to uh, introduce our next uh, segment uh, uh, was uh, another legend in the uh, science fiction field. Uh, somebody who, uh, where not only has he tremendous uh, ideas and, and um, world-shaking views and paradigm-shattering views, but also is not afraid to bring a little controversy along for the ride. <laughs> uh, and for that, we uh, turn to uh, uh, the uh, always uh, amazing illustrator X. Broadcasting from the four-color vault of the world of comics, who uh, has a memorable quote attributed to his name, which says, "If you were a meeting, I would hold you." And that does, that, oh. that continues to give me shivers. I just I never <laughs> get tired of reading Peter. that. So <laughs> you're the one. Congratulations. Hell, yeah. Hell with that. If I if you were a driveway, I would plow you. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> These are all worthy of like the dirty livery book uh, from Doctor Asimov here. You know? <laughs> Shout out uh, to by all means, yes. Uh, New Hampshire. <laughs> uh -oh. Sorry, no, no. no, please continue with the buttering. <laughs> oh, with the buttering, okay. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, as everybody knows, who's even spent more than three minutes on a sci-fi uh, Saturday Night uh, dot com website, uh, that is the uh, truly uh, a unique art uh, that is uh, uh, that you see uh, scattered uh, throughout all the individual pages. Uh, and then uh, tr truly one of my uh, favorite things to gaze upon when I uh, go to uh, comic conventions myself. Uh, that this, that just personal taste there. Uh, I know I'm biased. but <laughs> You know, back in, when was it, 2007, when, when we were thinking about bringing the show back, I was, I was talking to Dome on the phone and I said, you know, the technology's there, we can bring it back as a podcast, I'll do it, I'll run the podcast. And the first thing I said was, we need to, we need to call Brian. I said Absolutely. Brian, not Illustrator X, because I know his actual name. Yeah, that was, that was actually the very first thing we did. And then we, as long we, as you didn't reveal it over the air. <laughs> All right. Oops. Then, as I recall, we, we drove over to the house and spoke to him, didn't we? No, we called him on the Skype right then at like 9 o'clock at night on a, on a Tuesday. And we're like, dude, let's do this. And, and then I started getting art in the email, and I was like, squee! 
And then for a while, we had we had little, like, thought balloons on the sides, but that ended up looking like crap because I couldn't get it to go right. Not because of, not because of his art. His art was awesome. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> but I have long maintained that the Illustrator X's work is evocative of the uh, characterist Al Hirschfield, uh, who probably oh is well-known for a, a, a great many uh, celebrity uh, and, and, and other famous individuals' uh, uh, caricatures. And, and, of course, the most famous. Anybody any fan of Al Hirschfeld is familiar with his tactic of uh, hiding the name of his daughter, Nina, in the lines of all the artwork. It's just... I don't know how it is. Just maybe I'm biased because I'm an illustrator myself, but that—that uh, that is the style that it has always put me in mind of. All I'm going to say is, Julie Taymor, I am available and uh, willing to relocate to Broadway. <laughs> as long as we're not All talking right. Spider-Man. <laughs> as long as we're not Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Well, um, thank you very much, everybody. Appreciate it. Um. Uh, so, for my quote, well, first of all, I wanted to say this was very difficult because... Dome, the, enough with the typing. Jesus. The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a show without Dome's too loud typing. Guess well, what? You I muted out me. Oh, It was crap. me. I'm sorry. I have... <laughs> 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 <Zombrarian>. <laughs> oh. I first type with my very own Skype and I forgot. <laughs> That's why Skype has a mute button, my dear. Anyway, I'm sorry, Illustrator X. Proceed. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, well, I was just going to say, first of all, when I found out we were going to do this as a clip show, I was really hard-pressed because I've always said that our finest moment was our Gene Robinson charity, charity drive that we did, and uh, there's just no way you can condense four months' worth of podcasts into five minutes, so... That went out the door, but I still think that was our best thing we ever did. Uh, so I decided... By the, by the way, uh, you can't condense Harlan Ellison into five minutes either, as you're about to No, no. But you know what? One 60-minute show versus four months' worth, eh, yeah, you got to make a choice. Um, so yeah, I chose Harlan Ellison, and the reason is twofold. First of all, it was a great episode. It was one of our author specials, and we were specifically talking about Fritz Leiber. Yay! And I thought, who else, um, you know, could we get uh, besides Harlan? He would be the one to talk about Fritz and, and reminisce and explain why it's important that people still read his work. But I, I got to tell you guys, I had always set that as a goal, as like, man. We are gonna we are gonna make it someday. We are gonna get someone like Harlan Ellison on our show. And that's what we <laughs> make it. And, and then we did. And then we did. And as you see, the rest is history. We're just living off the interest. And he left us many phone calls talking about uh hammering dead dogs to our door and so forth. If we uh, ever gave up its phone number, so <laughs> Yeah. So yes. his phone number is 817. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but no. I don't have a mute, sorry. <laughs> okay, that's okay. It's his door, not mine. I'm fine. Uh, no, it was, it was very important for me to be able to talk to him on the phone and say, look, if we never talk to each other again, sir, thank you for writing Paladin of the Lost Hour. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. And thank you for that wonderful season of The Twilight Zone you did back in the 80s. And he was very gracious, and to this day, 
It was a great episode because my mom says, oh, he's such a nice, well-behaved man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) So without further ado. And we know what that sound means. What it means is tonight, live from the Caribou Lodge backroom, semi-happy ending massage parlor adjacent to the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Area 51. Welcome to the May 29th, 2010 edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We've got a special night ahead for you tonight. I am the Dome, joining the talk cast tonight from the Alton Broughton Hellmouth outside of Boston. Welcome, Kriana. Bazinga. Ah, and speaking of Bazinga, from the Four Color Vault Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, mere hours away from the Bazinga Ball Pit Bacchanal and Penny Ante Poker Party, celebrating four decades of squandering precious hydrocarbons in pursuit of the perfect Supergirl panty shot, Illustrator X (laughs) and his flesh-eating bombshell, the dead redhead. Good evening, everyone. Don't you make me feel like a natural woman. Oh, it's so nice to hear you singing. Tonight is our third author's retrospective, The Like and Worth of Work and of Fritz Leiber. To talk with us about him tonight is a man who, if I said needed no introduction, simply the mere mention of his name would bring so many thoughts to mind. For me, it brings to mind the short story anthology, I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream. And I must scream. And I must scream. Uh, It is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Harlan Ellison. Harlan, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm coming to you tonight live from the underground Glitter Palace high atop the Moshe Dalak Hotel here in Upper Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing you the music of Ramon Rivera and his snappy-dappy teeny bopper orchestra featuring Ursula Le Guin on lute. (laughs) I haven't heard a good lute in so long. That's because you never come to the bar with me. It's true. How come I never come to the bar with you? Because you keep touching me in inappropriate places. That's why. <laughs> your mouth says no, but your eyes say yes. <laughs> my eyes actually say wee oui, wee, oui, but my mouth says nichnara. <laughs> okay, we're off to an interesting one, kids. You are so, the, uh, you are the weirdest. You are the weirdest people I've spoken to since my birthday two days ago, and. <laughs> And uh, I suppose we're, we, were, we were meant for each other, separated at birth early in the Pleistocene. Go ahead, ask me what you wish to ask me. By the way, sir, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Harlan. Thank you very much. I and wish I could have said that to, to Fritz today, but uh, Fritz, is, Fritz is gone, and, uh, and I miss him terribly, even years and years after his death. Do you know where to get into this, or should I just begin rambling, and at some point you'll have a question to ask? Ramble on, sir. I- Oh, wait, I have a question. Okay, go for it. Okay. Yes, go ahead. I'm in a bookstore. I've got a $20 bill burning a hole in my pocket, and I'm going to pick up a copy of Twilight. Why should I go to the Fritz Leiber section instead? (laughs) Because because almost everything in Twilight was stolen from Fritz Leiber. Oh. You had twinkly vampires? No. And so one suggests to anybody with one of those funny little handheld objects that reduces Lawrence of Arabia to the size of a uh, peach (laughs) kit, and they tell you how how wonderful it is for you, and you say, oh, yes, here's a film that was made to be seen sitting in a theater five miles long, and I'm going to do it while I'm eating potato chips and picking my nose and look at... at, uh, 
you know, O'Toole racing across nowhere. Fuck it. Oh, I'm not allowed to say that. Okay. No, you can say anything. So we can say anything on here. On us today. Well, I only know two bad words, and I try not to use those. One of them is Nixon, and the other one, and I'm talking about the co-star of Sex in the City, too. Uh, I'm, and, and, the, and the other one is, is one very soft kind of glottal word, like a, like a piece of rabid weasel meat. It's, the word is Sailor Palin. And, uh, <laughs> well, apart from those two words. I have more in common than one might think, because I, I do believe that at one point you and I were both on the Nixon's enemy list. Oh, I was di- I was not only on Nixon's enemies list, I was on Reagan's uh, enemies list, along with people. Oh, that was, that was wonderful. I mean, what a boob. What an absolute boob Reagan was. There's a quote from Reagan that I've got framed up here in the house. It says, um, says the, uh, the, uh, the, average, the average American is like the child in the family. Uh, Fritz uh, was a great hero to me long before I started writing. Uh, with his first book that came from Arkham House, Knights Black Agents. And uh, I, I, I met him years and years later, but by that time, he was already the summit. Uh, he was the light to which one stri- toward which one strives. And his writing, doesn't matter what genre you pick, genres be damned. Fritz Leiber was one of the great American writers. Usually, I try, I've been trying to get the U.S. Post Office to issue uh, great American fantasists. They've done Poe, of course, but that was a one-off. I want them to do a set that includes Fritz Leiber, Edgar Rice Burroughs, H.P. Lovecraft, Mark oh. Ashton Smith, and the great Willis Cooper, who created Lights Out and uh, Quiet, Please, on the radio. And then go from there if those five or six... Oh, the sixth one is L. Frank Baum. To me... Leiber's short stories, he did one that I think they're going to re-release called A Pale of Air. Mm. It's a wonderful book of short stories. Um, Knight's Black Agents is terrific. Uh, um, uh, He did a great, oh God, it's a great horror novel or thriller called uh, You're Not Alone. Yes. And and then, uh, but the best one of all, the best one of all, is Our Lady of Darkness. I'm just rereading that. It's so good. It holds up so amazingly well. That oh, could have been done any time. It is the soul of Fritz Leiber living in San Francisco and yes. looking out at Coit Tower and coming up with a whole new kind of necromancy mm-hmm. uh, about, about big cities. And he was a gigantic inspiration to me to write Deathbird stories in which I talked about the gods of the big city and the god of the freeway and the god of the slot machine, the modern gods. And, uh, and Fritz was always the shining light toward which one strove. Listen, kiddo, I'm working with equipment here that has not had, you know, they don't manufacture the parts anymore, so there's no replacements. And every once in a while, I'll say something that's completely off the wall and wrong, and you'll say, no, 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 I think you mean Jonquil, not Margot. And I'll say, oh, Christ, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> so uh, bear with me, and I'll try not to trip over my own tongue. Oh, no. Uh, but I used to get to Harlan, you're, into- you're, you're totally entitled to trip over whatever you want. <laughs> Even if it's my own forked tongue, right? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I think if something is great literature, and, and, I, and I really think the original canon of home stuff is, is definitely literature, uh, then I think every generation should clutch it to its bosom in its own way. If it leads 
five kids to picking up one of the original books or reading one of the original stories, I say, good. Who, who gets hurt? Nobody. It, it occurs to me at this juncture in the conversation that there's a great tragedy in Fritz's life that made him, in many ways, a very melancholy man, very much mm. like, very much like Poe. Uh, and the tragedy is the same tragedy that poisoned Theodore Sturgeon's life, that Kurt Vonnegut was able to escape, that has always annoyed Bradbury and, and, and me. Fritz Leiber was not a science fiction writer. Mm. Fritz Leiber was simply a writer. Genre identification like science fiction, sci-fi, sort of sorcery, love novels, western novels, these are marketing considerations that bookstores used to use before they got co-opted by the web to separate the writing from the writing. So if they could hook you with Tolkien, Mm -hmm. They would give you 500 more books that looked like Tolkien, and they were all stuck in fantasy. I was forever getting my books of television criticism stuck into the science fiction. Oh. People would buy the book, and they'd be very pissed at me. Well, this is not science fiction. It's a cyber. Why, why is there a book on that? And they would take it back to the, board, to, to the borders. And the, and the borders would always say, oh, gee, we're awful sorry. He's the sci-fi guy. No, motherfucker, I'm not the sci-fi guy. <laughs> Yo, mama is the sci-fi guy. I got your sci-fi right here. Fritz was always better, more important, more universal in what he wrote about and who he wrote about than all the people who were writing science fiction. Wow. <laughs> that was a long-ass clip. <laughs> At this point, I feel dirty. <laughs> <laughs> dirty but enlightened you know, I mean, at the same time, and maybe that's part of it. <laughs> Harlan is such an interesting character. I mean, he's... He's suing pretty much everybody at this point. Um, mm -hmm. But it's so funny. You can't even but, really take it seriously. It's just funny. Well, and, and, and he's so passionate. I mean, he is just abs uh, he is he's passion embodied. And to hear him speak about Liber like that is just you know. And there's just not enough of that passion left in the world. There really isn't. Well, that's Amen, why we brother. do the uh, that's why we did the author specials to have you, really never, awesome. You've never people. heard you've never heard middle schoolers talk about Justin Bieber, man. Yeah. Nor <laughs> do I ever wish to. Thank you. There, there is there is plenty of passion left in the world. It's just misplaced. There we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Well, then, uh, then then perhaps uh, uh, Kriana might have some insights as to how we can uh, steer some of that passion back into things. Uh, as uh, she'll be introducing our next segment. Um, her specialty is all things technical, and it's largely through her genius that this, uh, this whole thing even exists. Uh, she's also broadcasting the Alston Brighton Hellmouth. Uh, amongst the list of likes is uh, uh, Will Wheaton, but that's not exactly controversial because I don't know of anybody in science fiction now who doesn't like Will Wheaton. Uh, um, I don't like, like Will Wheaton. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't like Okay, him. you're very, very brave for saying that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Rihanna, if you had, uh, I, I know you've got uh, something uh, rather memorable to uh, throw at us here. And uh, what, what, what's your uh, journey uh, going to be enlightening for us? Well, wow, it's been a long, however many years it's been. 
but awesome. I mean, like, it, it was also super hard to choose because we've had so many awesome people. I can't even think of one instance where we've had a guest that's not awesome. Shut up, everyone. <laughs> right. uh, 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 my tongue. tongue. <laughs> it's supposed to be muted when she says that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but right. well, every, every guest was awesome to somebody. Some sometimes you know one person won't get it, but that's why we have like eight hundred hosts, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little crowded in here, but it's cozy. It's like a crowded living room. Yeah. Speaking of crowded living rooms, that, that brings me to my clip. Um, my clip, one, one of our, on Sci-Fi Saturday Night, I know it's all of our favorite projects, was Brown Coats Redemption. Mike Doherty, are you listening? You better be listening right now. But <laughs> Brown Coats Redemption, for those of you who live under rocks and have never listened to us before, is a fan film of Firefly Serenity but not taking place with the same characters, with different characters, same universe, different characters, made for the fans, by the fans, funded by the fans, purchased by the fans. Joss Whedon said, go for it. You know, the the movie studios decided not to sue them for once in their lives. You know, they donated all their proceeds to charity. And it was just a, a phenomenal success. And we have been with them since about when they when they finished shooting. They were in the editing process, and we have actually had them out here a couple of times for Boston Comic Con. Not Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, sorry. Granite Con. They've been guests of honor at Granite Con, yep. and they've sold their DVDs, and they actually stayed at my house in 2010. And, and, and not just they stayed at my house, we actually had a meeting of the New England Browncoats, a shindig, if you will, at at our apartment, which was then in the Alston Brighton Hellmouth. And I'm going to admit that this whole episode was videotaped in the Alston Brighton Hellmouth. I don't know where that video ended up, and I hope never <laughs> to find it again. Because it basically consists of me and Mike Doherty sitting, looking at our computers, and drinking beer awkwardly. I don't think we even covered the labels. Do we have to cover yeah. the labels? I don't know. But anyway, so so... So not and, only is and one random person walking back and forth and back and forth in the background. So Mike Doherty, Andrew Marnick, Notebook King, um, we're we're at the we're at the Alston Brighton Hellmouth, and and this is actually I believe the origin of the Notebook. Live from the 24-hour seafood buffet on the upper concourse of the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Area 51. Welcome to another edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I am the Dome. Joining tonight's dog cast from the Alston Brighton Hellmouth outside of Boston, welcome Kriana. Hiya, I have some special guests tonight. Well, I wanted to start by saying tonight we're going to answer the musical question, how many brown coats does it take to fill a Hellmouth? Um, I think the magical number is nine, eight, <laughs> nine, something like that. There's I lost count. Nine? Sounds like 84. <laughs> I know. That's why it only takes nine. <laughs> and joining us at the Hellmouth with Kriana is Mike Doherty, producer and director of Brown Coach Redemption. Mike, nice to have you with us tonight. It's actually glad to be here semi-in-person, Dom. <laughs> and what would be even cooler is that you'll be totally in person tomorrow at <gasps> State Comic Con in Manchester, New Hampshire. 
So, Mike, since you, you remember everyone's names, can you go around the room and introduce everyone? Okay. Else? Uh, so, in the room with us, we have uh, that guy to my right. Hi. <laughs> guy to your right. What's that? Great guy. Oh, yeah, great guy. Great guy. You're going to love him. Yeah, I'm writing that down so I can remember his name. <laughs> and that guy guy's to write. Got it. <laughs> that guy's name is uh, Mr. Andrew Lewis Marnick, who is our editor of Brown Coast Redemption. He's edited the last two trailers and the one that's going to be coming out next weekend at Phoenix Comic Con. Also in the room with us is uh, Miss Shelley Hackman, who happened to play uh, Mighty Fine Companion on the Rim World in uh, Brown Coast Redemption. And then several other New England brown coats that I just met this evening. Those parts will be played by lady in a floral shirt, lady in a red shirt, gentleman in a brown or blue t-shirt, and brown some or guy blue. that just left the room. Yeah. Smartly done. Smartly done. The floral done. shirt is Jill. The floral shirt is Holly. Gentleman in a gray shirt. I did not catch your name. Jason. Andy. And, and Andy, in the brown coat shirt. And we have Rich. And we and have Rich. Rich. Working cameras. So oh, no, we're being the, filmed uh, tonight, New too? Massachusetts area, you'll actually be able to see this podcast live. Not live, but recorded. So <laughs> it's really on Memorex. Why am I wearing these pants? <laughs> well, because, why are you the only one wearing pants? <laughs> you guys are wearing pants? <laughs> I thought this awesome. was a pantsless episode. Uh, hey, before we before we get too far into the uh, silliness here, also joining us from her kryptonite is Drew. Hey, I love kryptonite. I know, I know. And a special ghost host, ghost host, ghost host, <laughs> ghost host guest host tonight, joining us from Salt Lake City, Utah, from the Brown Coach Redemption podcast. Casey, how are you, my friend? I am good. Thank you for having me. This is uh, quite an honor, and uh, I, I'm enjoying meeting all of you folks. Well, uh, you you may have cause to rethink that. Awkward <laughs> moment. <laughs> no, all their moves. And it starts at 10 o'clock. It closes, doors close at 4 o'clock. $7 for adults. Children under 10 get in for free. And young ladies, if you're wearing a spandex costume, do they get in for free too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what could be better? I'm not sure anymore. Anyway. <laughs> That's what she said. Okay. <laughs> can we say sharktopus? No, but what can we say? Mansquito! Time and... for a drink. <laughs> and, and on that note, also drank. the new Avengers movie is getting a lot of talk. It's getting a lot of uh, Whedon talk, but it's going to be shot in London. You know what? I'm okay with that. Uh, it kind of bothers me a little bit, but it's a matter of economics more than anything else. Here's the best cool thing. Ed Norton came out and said uh, Hulk is a possible yes for the movie. Yep, he said he, he'd definitely come back, but he'd really like to see some of the fans uh, contacting Marvel to let them know. Yeah. I'm still uh, pretty scarred from that Hulk movie with the uh, crazy dogs. Oh, the Ang Lee movie. Yeah, I've never watched the Hulk since, actually. Oh, you got to check out the one with Ed Norton. It, you completely forget about the Ang Lee and the crazy steroid green dogs. I would love to, but I can't. I'll tell you, that and, movie... Andrew loves the Ang Lee one, though. <laughs> but he also watches The Notebook and cries a lot. So. <laughs> he owns the special director's edition of My Left Foot. Wait, can I say that on public access TV? We'll be edited out for I'll be back in a minute, 
But he also watches The Notebook and cries a lot. But he also watches The Notebook and cries a lot and cries a lot. Here's a box of Puffs Plus for you, Andrew. Oh, good lord, that was wow. an odd night. <laughs> oh, so, remind me, why were you in an airplane hangar dome? <laughs> <laughs> well, if if technology is truly the bane of our existence, there are nights when, lord knows what happens, but for one reason or another, the minute we hit the record button and go live, shit happens. <laughs> you know what, and th this also just makes me glad that I have banned Dome from editing the podcast and putting lame music in it. Seriously, guys! Seriously! Yeah, that was horrible. Oh, dear. Well, if he's been banned uh, from, uh, uh, that means there's no uh, quality pontificating, and that's kind of the part we're looking forward to the most coming up here next, uh, is uh, I, I'm kind of, this is a uh, the, the, the Dome being a personal hero of mine, uh, I'm uh, keenly looking forward to uh, the, the bits that he has to share, especially uh, as a man who openly admits on his website that amongst his list of likes or anything with busty women, because, like, you know, hey, solitude, solidarity, brother, you know? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I've, I've got to tell you, that's, like, half the reason I'm in this gig. You know, when when Amber Benson got on the radio with me when we were on Clear Channel and uh... popped the See You Next Tuesday routine, yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> and everybody in the entire Clear Channel office stopped dead except for me. And I was just on the floor in hysterics going, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. And it's just, you know, more fun than humans should be allowed to have to do this, to do this gig. I got to tell you, it's, uh, you know, it's been like six years and with after Clear Channel fired us, it was like, two and a half years hiatus and all kinds of really cool shit. I mean, you know, we really wanted to change, and we're probably going to change the logo of, of our show to cool shit we like. Because that's... I'll, I'll subscribe to that. <laughs> it's totally what we're about. It's yeah. totally what we're about. Yeah, we're I mean, adding steampunk to that now. Oh, oh, my God, the fun we had at the steampunk convention last week. Yes. Oh, oh, goodness gracious me. Shout out to Dr. Grimm and the Emperor. Oh, Dr. Grimm. Right. I cannot wait, man. More coolness coming with these guys. I but don't believe that the Emperor exists because we never saw him. I saw him. Yeah, we, saw him? I saw him briefly. and uh, you Yes. Know. I may have been making balloon animals. <laughs> I think you, you were. were well, there. there's priorities. Totally. <laughs> So anyhow, you know, I mean, this has just been, you know, in the original radio days, it was myself, Dr. Mr. K, Gene Cavellos, and, and uh, our Clear Channel uh, uh, kind of liaison who took all the bullets for us, Chardin Sandoval. And uh, when Clear Ch when he stopped taking the bullets for us and, and Clear Channel got rid of us, uh, was the best thing that ever happened because uh, the, the artistic freedom to do what we want to do here is just freaking amazing. That's true. I don't think uh, Harlan Ellison me. would like getting preempted for a hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he may have thrown a fit about that. Yeah. He might have sued somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, should I play the clip now? 
Well, no. Oh, why not? I've got to introduce the clip. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, please do. Wait, which uh, one I'm, is yours I'm, again? I'm okay, okay, curious. the clip, clip. Go for it. No, clip. The, the clip st stems back to the very first Boston Comic Con that we went to, and uh, Illustrator X was kind of like showing me around because Comic Cons were, you know, I, w I was used to doing cons, and we had done a couple of, but Comic Cons, especially something the size of, of Boston, was something fairly new to me, and uh, as, as well as you know, hooking up with Peter at that one, which we did, and, but also hooking up with uh, incredible people. Uh, he pulls me to this guy who does this book called Kabuki by the name of David Mack. Uh, yes. And I'm sitting there and I'm just mesmerized. And X says to him, uh, so, so what are you doing? What's coming up? And he happens to mention something that he's doing for the Philip K. Dick estate. And he just turns to me with this grin on his face because he'd set this up for me and I didn't know it. He says, you know, don't knew Philip K. Dick. And all of a sudden, everything in the Boston Comic Con stopped dead and it was just me and David. And for like, it felt like an hour and a half. It was probably close to like half an hour. We just talked and people came by to talk to him and he was like waving them off. <laughs> Later, we, just dudes. Sat, we just sat there oh and my talked. Goodness. it was amazing it was, and, and I said at that point we gotta have you on I think it was on like two weeks later and this like is two months clip. later Good two months later and this is the clip where are you from tonight David? North or Central <laughs> Kentucky oh yes yeah. Sorry, just I, I'm, in, I'm in transition right now in transition we have <laughs> the wonderfully, incredibly beautiful author, uh, illustrator, David Mack. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this. <laughs> Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is our Philip K. Dick retrospective. is an author who's very near and dear to me, one of the three authors who have profoundly affected my life, uh, the other two being uh, J.D. Salinger and Robert Heinlein. <laughs> and, uh, sorry about that. No Alan Dean Foster? No. I mean, if you think, uh, one of his uh, more interesting books, uh, a short story is What the Dead Men Say. Uh, there's a great quote in there. It's, uh, don't try to solve serious matters in the middle of the night. But David, uh, David Mack, you are the creator of the uh, deservedly acclaimed series Kabuki. Uh, you did an all-too-brief stint on Daredevil uh, and other various Marvel issues. And now you are going to be adapting Philip K. Dick's stories for Marvel Comics. Um, I just want to write, read the uh, intro that Previews has for Philip K. Dick's Electric Ant, Issue 1, uh, which will be coming out soon. Uh, it says, From the mind of legendary sci-fi author Philip K. Dick, Garson Poole had a pretty great life. Good job, nice apartment, a sexy, flirtatious assistant. Yeah, sounds like he works for Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And then he wakes up in a hospital room. The doctors inform him that he's been in a car accident, and they can't treat him because... He's a robot. Whoop. 
Specifically, Garson is an electric ant, a human-like robot created and programmed to serve a specific function. But what is Garson's function? How will his friends and co-workers treat him knowing that he's a machine, not a person? And how much of his world is real and how much of it is part of his programming? Written by Kabuki scribe David Mack and illustrated by Pascal Alix. David, please tell us about the Philip K. Dick adaptations you're doing. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for the introduction. Um, you know, this began, you mentioned Scanner Darkly. This began uh, when the producer of Scanner Darkly, his name is, uh, the producer of the film, I should clarify. His name is Tommy Pallotta, and he produced Scanner Darkly with director Richard Leakletter. Um And they also did Waking Life, uh, directed and Pallotta produced also, which I don't know if you're familiar with it. It also uses a variety of experimental animation, you know, forms over live action, you know, live actors. Oh, that's yeah. a great movie. Yeah, I own it. It's excellent. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Waking Life. I've been a fan of it. Um, and in pre-Scanner Darkly, I got a message from on my answering machine from, from Tommy Plata some years ago, and he had found one of my Kabuki books at a bookstore in New York. Uh, it was Kabuki Metamorphosis. Mm. And he called me up and he said he's working on a uh, a project. Um, I believe at the time this was a project for Microsoft, and he was looking for uh, uh, for me to do concept designs and, and art for it. Um, but one of the strange philopathic tangents is the writer for the project was the screenwriter for Blade Runner, whose name is Hampton Fancher. Right. And so he said, "Hey, you know, I've got Hampton Fancher on board. We've got this great story. We want you to be involved. We want to get all of you together and make this work." Um, but I couldn't do the project because I was already in the middle of, I guess it was like my third Daredevil story, and I was deep in the midst of it and, you know, fighting deadlines every day um, to get this finished. So I, I, as, as amazing as this project sounded to work with, you know, Hampton Fancher, the, uh, the screenwriter for Blade Runner, I, I wasn't able to accept the project just because of, of time commitments with, with Marvel. But uh, maybe a couple years later, he, had, he, he was looking for another, uh, for, he, I think he was just finishing up Scanner Darkly, and he was looking for his next uh, film project, and he had an interest in adapting Kabuki uh, as a feature film. And we began discussing that, and I was spending a lot of time in L.A. at the time, and he had moved from New York to uh, Santa Monica. So we started discussing you know, our, our ideas for a Kabuki film together, uh, sort of like riding bikes in Santa Monica and became closer and closer. And he was discussing his, uh, you know, his adventure on putting the Scanner Darkly film together. And, you know, he said to me, you know, I, you know, I really like your books and we're, we're hoping this Kabuki film thing works out. But in the meantime, do you mind, you know, I'm working with the Dick Estate um, so closely on this project and I've, I've become good friends with them. Um, do you mind if I, you know, show them your work as well? And I said, no, that's fine. Um, and I, I didn't realize, I guess he sort of had intentions on, uh, you know, I'm showing them my work as an introduction to, you know, to, to me working with them on some kind of adaptation. And he called back and said that they liked my stuff and they were interested in, in, in adapting Philip K. Dick's stories to graphic novels and comic books and that they wanted me to do it. So I, I, I flew out and I met for dinner, um, Phil K. Dick's daughters, uh, Issa and Laura, and myself and Tommy Pilata, the producer. And I, I gave them my, 
my view of, of how to how we wanted to approach the story and they seem to be very much on on the same page with it and they they really like it and I think we just kind of we kind of hit everything off um, so we knew we were doing it and then we then we were able to to, to launch into uh, you know it was it was actually very interesting to consider what what short story you know because there's a wealth of short stories I think there's like 144 145 mm-hmm. short stories you know an amazing amount of work considering that this author died you know so so early And I'm once again thankful that we are not doing the stupid music <laughs> yeah, and sound effects. That, that's just horrible. That was horrible, Dom. It was horrible. Well, that that goes back to the the old radio show, which had music running under it for an entire three hours. Yeah, which also just yeah, proves yeah. that none of us have listened to the talk cast once they go up, because we we would have all ex- we would have all expressed our horror much sooner. I can't believe anyone actually listened to that. Because seriously. I would have listened to that once and been like, F this bullshit. Yeah. Oi. Which brings us to uh, the segment none of us were going to touch. Well, well, we were going to touch it, but we were all going to touch it. (laughs) When the idea came up to do this show, we had one of these roundtable discussions like we have before the show uh, every week. And we said, okay, everybody wants to do this one, but Dome, you wanted to do this one the most. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to pick mine till everybody else picks theirs. So, And I purposely didn't. So the email started coming in as to who was going to do what. And then without thinking, I went and took something else. And then this afternoon we realized nobody talked about our most important thing ever: Spider and Genie. Spider and Genie. Spider and Genie. And you know the four and a half months of of our show that we put together to put the jam sketches together for Gene, the the talking with Spider. Uh, and having Spider on the show, and, talking uh, with Genie after the show. Come on! After the show was just uh, transcendental. Oh my goodness! <laughs> there's there's a half an hour uh, that nobody will ever hear, except for me. After the sh- after the show uh, ended, because uh, we had heard during the show Genie in the background, so we knew she was there, and. Jeannie was at that point very weak. She'd just been taken off chemotherapy and was preparing. And then yeah. and then she actually passed on about a month after our show, didn't she? Right. Right. So we were talking, just kind of chatting very quietly with Spider after we got off the air. And I very offhandedly said, Jean, I can hear you in the background. We love you. And she kind of stepped up to the microphone, sat next to Spider, and we talked for, gosh, almost half an hour. Wow. And, and then... Go ahead. And then, so we also had our charity auctions and the jam sketches, and we had some fabulous people help us out there. And, and Schroeder. And then, and then Spider told Peter that, that his drawing of what's-his-name was just as he envisioned it, and then that was awesome. And then, 
And then yeah. everything was awesome. And then we actually just followed up with Spider again not that long ago. Yeah. And this is the segment of Spider Robinson's return after Gene's passing. Oh. Okay. Crap. Where is that one? I, I spent most of my life believing that I'm a Martian changeling left here by you know, some, <laughs> some sort of oversight like E.T., you know. And uh, sports was one of my early examples. You know, I, I just didn't understand it. Everyone else seemed to react to that raw nerve, you know, at, at the slightest touch. And me, you could whack me on the sports nerve, and I just didn't care. You know, and I, I played sports. I was a kid. You had to play sports. They made you play sports. And I still didn't care whether my team beat the other team, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just I kind of enjoyed being out in the sunshine and being allowed to run around, you know, and have a game with a complicated set of rules. But who the hell cared whether you won it or lost it? It was all. This is true. George of Jungle have secret weapon. Dumb luck. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know it's, it, it's funny because Ben Bova was on the show uh, about two or three weeks back. There's some of my dumb luck right there. Ben Bova, dumb luck number one. And Ben Bova did the same thing because we we were doing an Isaac Asimov retrospect and we were talking about how he first met Asimov and the dumb luck involved. He was in the phone book. Uh, he looked uh, him up. Uh, that's but Isaac. You know what, though? Not dumb luck because we do the same thing every day. How do you think we got Spider on the show? I looked him up on the Internet. That's very yep. true. That's yeah, true. true. It's true. the modern phone book, kiddos. Yeah. Now, admittedly, I, I you know, it's, it's got a couple of layers of filtration on it, and I tend to, I tend to get mail from that source about oh, once every month or two, you know, unless I'm a little lazy, in which case it can be three or four months, uh, you know. <laughs> but nonetheless, yeah, it, it is possible to get a hold of your heroes. I was one of the first things I figured out when the internet finally appeared was my God, I can actually contact some people that I've admired all my life and tell them how much their work has meant to me when I never thought I'd get a chance, you know? But now here's this website, and they gave me an email address, and they're asking me from a false son of a bitch. And I tried to go down the list of all my heroes, you know, and make sure before they left the planet that I told them how what, what their work had meant to me. And I didn't always make it, you know? In some cases, I was a little late, you know, and I got there just just wrong. But sometimes the timing was perfect. I, I wrote to Fritz Richmond, a musician I really love. Fritz Richmond used to play washtub bass in Jim Kweiskin's Jug Band and a bunch of other Oh, jug gosh, bands. yes. I know exactly uh, what you're talking uh, about. Uh, Richard Farina, the great Richard Farina, died, fell off the back of Fritz Richmond's motorcycle back oh. in the day. And I wrote to Fritz, and I just had to tell him how much his good time music concept had meant to me and how in writing I had always tried to do the writing equivalent of good time music, of never leaving anybody feeling shittier than when they picked up my book, you know. And I got back this wonderful email from his wife saying, Fritz hasn't got the strength to do any typing himself. He's in the process of dying. Uh, but he just wanted me to tell you how, he, how much he really appreciated your letter. He'd always always wanted to get a letter like that, and he never had. And, you know, congratulations. You got it just under the wire. Two days later, Fritz left, you know? Uh, so sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And, and, no, but you know, that's, a, that's a win. That's an ultimate yeah. win. It really is. Because you got to do – you got to say something right out of the top of your heart. Well, I hate and, and I hate when somebody dies, and I'm boiling over with tribute. And but it's a, you know it's a little late to tell the person who would most appreciate hearing this. 
we we did a thing in Toronto for Judith Merrill before she left. Uh, the 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 spaced out library did a thing where we all eulogized Judith while she was still around to appreciate it before she was uh, existence challenged. That's uh, awesome. It was just terrific. A whole bunch of you know Michael Moorcock and Fred Pohl, and you know, we just had a great time. We sat around and told told Judith stories and told people how remarkable she was while she got to sit there and preen and deny some of the charges, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, add mitigating circumstances to some of the others. And, you know, there ought to be more of that shit going on. There really should. Nobody can pay you enough money to do something you really don't want to do. I quit my job on the newspaper, and I went full-time freelance. And if it hadn't been for that, I'd, I'd still be a guy who published a story once every three or four years, you know? It was the, 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 the encouragement and the inspiration that I got from guys like Ben and Isaac and, and Poole and, you know, gentlemen all. That, that I got into this field full time with both feet. When I came, when I came along, science fiction was going through this golden period where there was no slightest trace of competitiveness to be found anywhere. People went out of their way to help the new guy aboard, to, you know, lend a helping hand to the new kids coming up, because it wasn't like that we were having a contest to see who could pick the most potatoes. It was like we, we got to get all these potatoes in before the rains come. The more hands, the better, you know. This was before Star Wars. When, when Star Wars came along, suddenly it began to seem like there was a buck in this. And then all of a sudden the knives came out, you know, and all of a sudden it got a lot less friendly and a, lot, you know, a, little, more, a little more on the competitive side. And, and to my mind, nowhere near as much fun. But for a while it was a community of gentlemen, you know, looking for people to help get the word out. Because that's what we were in science fiction for, was to get the word out, you know. Kind of amazing, <clears throat> kind of amazing, an amazing, Very. amazing gentleman. Absolutely. And, and that's exactly what, you know, we've been talking about tonight, the, the amazing experience that it's been to, to sit here and discuss these issues with these people who have made such an influence on so many people's lives. I, I don't know that our 100th show could be anything less than a tremendous thank you to everybody not not just the the people who listen but also all of our guests and, and you know the the people who have made science fiction what it is today it's it's been a crazy crazy weird hundred shows we this, this has been but previous to our hundred shows we are on the radio don't we have we some people to thank yeah, I want to thank Mr. K, who I know is listening tonight, Gene Cavellos, and yes, there is a bathroom on the Enterprise, <laughs> and Chardon Sandoval, who uh, had the guts to stand up to Clear Channel for as long as it took to keep us on the air for as long as he could. Thank you all very much. X, is there somebody you want to thank there? Um, yeah, um, you. I was a fan. I was a fan of the original radio version. That's how uh, I got involved. Uh, we I met you guys at a at a you had like a public appearance at a movie theater or something. Oh God, that's right. Oh, oh, was it the horror one on Halloween? Because that was really no. fun. No, no, I don't down at London Dairy. Something yeah. had just opened, and Gene was with you guys too. Yeah, was, and oh, I, I wasn't there. It was the Robert I, Rodriguez film. Yeah. 
But I had told you, it's like, yeah, I did a graphic novel. And you're like, well, then you were our next guest. And I'm like, oh, okay, then. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> so, you know, you know, the first, the first hit was free, as they say, and the rest is history. So thank you very much. <laughs> And, and wow. there have been so many organizations that have made, you know, what we do possible. We, it, Science, Sci-Fi Saturday Night has gone through a couple of changes even s since after the radio days. Uh, and, and we've had tremendous support, especially from Double Midnight. Oh, man, the, the guys at Double Midnight are so great. Yes, that Qu Chris, Quincy, Shadonda, Brett... Um, what did we name that other guy? Shoot, I forgot. <laughs> Rachel, whatever her... Whatever Rachel, Rachel! Rachel! Was, <laughs> was Ra it Raquel? Raquel, that was it! Raquel! Raquel! And Double Midnight are the guys that put on GraniteCon each year. They were the first That's people right. to, to give us a little bit of exposure. And uh, thanks in, in large part to them, we met people like Sarah Richard. Thanks in large part to them. Well, uh, okay, but I went to high school with her, so... Really? Yeah, but you wouldn't. But remember, yeah. it was the very first Granite Con you and I were at when you went, hey, I know her. No, I, you know, I saw her from the back a couple times. And she has some really. She was wearing a tank top and she has some really nice tattoos on her back. And I'm a big lesbian, so I was like, hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, we were sitting at her table and she turned around and I was like, shit. <laughs> I think I know her. And then, you know, I looked at the table next to her, which was Nicole Hanshi, and I was like, name not ringing a bell, but she looks so familiar while well, she got married. And that's kind of why. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And then, it, not to mention GraniteCon, then we also have Boston Comic Con. Absolutely. Where we have Kim and Bob Shaw. We and Jim and Kirby. We love Kirby. We love Kirby so much. He's so Kirby good. is the best, man. Also, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Jim, yeah. all you guys that help us out with all that, thank you so much. That was such a great experience. Oh, what, yeah. what a fantastic time. That's yeah, right. for That's once, for once, you didn't just have to hear us being like, <laughs> dude, this is so cool. You should have been there. You actually came. And you lost your con virginity at one of the biggest ones in the country. Congratulations, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was Wizard World. And, you know, a, a chance uh, interview with Garib Seamus that we weren't sure was ever actually going to happen. And next thing we knew, we were invited. And, and Garib uh -huh. was, was a wonderful, wonderful uh, host to us. And Jerry, their public relations guy, was the coolest he was walking us around, getting us interviews uh, when uh, people were standing in line and we were just kind of, he was cutting in lines for us. And <laughs> we got into of, the celebrity pen. Yeah, we, we were in the <laughs> playpen with the celebs. It was cool. Charisma Carpenter, we never got a chance. But Mercedes. Oh, no, you never had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it would have been another one of those awkward Mercedes McNabb. Was that a question? Why are and you looking at my boobs? <laughs> <laughs> we, well, you know, we, we did have a chance uh, to talk to some great authors, too, especially Tracy Hickman. What a great friend to the show. Yes. And Laura Hickman. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And Laura. Are just inspirational in the kind of stuff that they're doing and the way they're being so inclusive with everything. You know, this wouldn't be right if uh, we didn't take just a minute 
to say thank you to our new bloggers. Uh, when we finally the people who up, pick up the slack for me who doesn't post sometimes <laughs> yeah. occasionally they deign to yeah winter is coming our Daniil Oliva Amanda Tron who's is still out on maternity leave but we want to see her back soon and Samantha B you guys are terrific you're putting out some really quality stuff. you're really my favorites guys winter and Daniil are in the chat room right now winter uh, thank you very much. I love Winter. He's awesome. Uh, oh, now Daniil feels like crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I, I thought that I don't love Daniil. Just Winter sends me little I love things Daniel. about Dark Shadows. So, you wow. Know. Woo, I Dark Shadows. Him. We'll save that for next week. <laughs> and, of course, and then, I mean, we, there's, there's just so many people that we, we have to thank for, for getting us to So now does one of us have to read down the list of other people like, that we thought of that we need to thank, but we knew we left some people out, but sorry about that. We can't list everyone, but we love you all. I mean, I'll, I'll do it. I, I <laughs> go, Java. It. You're I'll on. Okay. One, two, three, go. Art House, Comic Art House is so fantastic, and Spooky World, Frankie Spooky B, World, Frankie, Wa- oh, Frankie B. Washington, uh, Rocco the Cat, George O'Connor, <laughs> uh, 664, The Neighbor of the Beast, Underburb, Sarah Richards, Nicole Hanchi, Jason Casey, Amber Benson, David Nile Wilson, Pasha Roberts, Stanton Friedman, Thomas Gofton, fantastic Rachel Bloom, Terry Moore. Uh, Echo was awesome, by the way. Zenoise, yep. uh, Eliza Dushkanu, Sue, uh, Everett Schwartz, uh, Amy, cynically twisted Fletcher and Eric Carter, and definitely alcohol. All of our listeners who are so fantastic to be involved in so many different ways, and especially, especially in capital letters, Peter Vinton Jr., who's been our. We love you, Peter. Okay. Is somebody cutting onions in here? Because my eyes are kind of. (laughs) Peter's our original fanboy. I'm honored, yeah, and I'm, I'm honored to be uh, elevated to that status. Uh, so this has just been a wonderful honor. Thank you for uh, thinking of me to do this. Uh, I hope I could lend my meager voice talents to something like this. Uh, but it, it truly is an amazing journey you folks have led us on. And uh, science fiction and science fiction fandom itself, uh, I, I think, have a lot to owe to you and, and, and especially the innovation and, and what you've been able to create from this. And uh, I'm looking forward to going all the way to uh, uh, episode 200, frankly. Yeah. Our 200th episode. And anybody that we didn't mention, we're sorry. We didn't mean to leave you off, but we do love all of you. We sure there's at least one or two important people we've left off, but oh, we can't so come up with their names off the top of our heads Don't right now. Don't be offended. We, we do, do have post offended. parties to go to. <laughs> yeah, totally. Peter. All right. When okay. we had our first. Uh, our first Spider Robinson show. There was a quote, yes. and you were there. You, yes. you were listening in that night. She and there was a quote that kind of caught all of us off guard and just grabbed at our hearts just a little bit. And from that moment on, that became my closing for the show. And tonight, I leave it to you. All right, and then and, and again, this is Peter Benton Jr., and then this one's for Gene, um, and then it can't be said any better than this. Shared pain is lessened. 
shared joy increased. Thus, do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. Good night! Holy zombie Jesus! Hehehehe! <laughs>